I damn near lost my job over this one, so I figure it's worth telling. It was back in November 2008. I was one of the longest trips I'd been on in a while. I just crossed over the state line to Ohio coming from Pennsylvania and had to take a leave. Now, I know a lot of people in this thread and even some of my buddies would assure me that the tried and true method of slowing down a little and grabbing a bottle would have been sufficient, but that wasn't going to cut it. I've been holding this in for a bit too long and I was trying to get as far as I could before I absolutely had to rest. It wasn't the smartest thing in retrospect, but this was a good paying job. I was delivering for a private company and their customers tended to tip well if you were on time, even more if you were early. I contemplated pulling over on the shoulder and letting loose on the asphalt. Keep in mind it was around midnight, so the likelihood of someone seeing me was pretty low. On top of that, I'd only seen about three cars in the past hour. A couple of more miles passed with my bladder on the brink of bursting, and luckily I found a truck stop. It was like seeing the gates of heaven opening up and inviting me. There was a small sitting area, bathrooms, and vending machines filled with all the beef jerky and energy drinks a man could ask for. I parked, ran to the closest urinal, and let it flow. Once I finished and washed up, I headed out, wallet in hand, ready to spend a good fortune on snacks and drinks. It was when I was reaching down for the second Red Bull that I heard it. You know that faint buzz the fluorescent bulb makes? Well, they were all over the place, buzzing like hell, but it seemed like they were getting louder. And there was something else, a new sound that I didn't recognize. Sounded mechanical, kind of like how we used to think robots would sound when they moved. You could hear all the mechanisms and gears turning. Looking around me, I saw that I was still alone. There was no one at the sheltered area, not a single car or truck in the parking lot. But the noise was getting louder. I walked up to the shoulder of the road to see if there was someone coming, and that was what I thought I was hearing, but the roads were completely bare. The sound was much louder now, and the buzzing had turned into more of a squeal. It was painful. I decided that whatever the hell it was, I no longer wanted to know. I was a few feet from the truck when I blacked out. I came to sometime the following morning with a couple of EMTs loading me onto a stretcher and then into an ambulance. At the hospital, they explained I'd taken a pretty nasty fall after I experienced what they believed to be vertigo. My right eardrum was ruptured, and I scraped my face pretty bad on the steps of my truck. It sounds silly, but my truck broke the fall. I didn't think too much of it after that. I'd never known if any family member had vertigo or if it was even hereditary, but I trusted the doctors. As far as the job... It was taken up by someone else, and I was put on leave for two weeks. It was during this break that I got a front row seat to what really happened that night. It came to me in a dream. I was back at that rest stop, reliving the moments before I dropped, and just as I did, I stopped. Mid-fall, I was frozen. My dream changed to a third-person perspective as I watched two incredibly tall and thin gray creatures materialize near me. They flipped me over. I was floating like the little girl from The Exorcist. They took turns looking over my body, messing with my fingers, arms, legs, testing all the joints and twisting and turning them this way and that. 
It was like they were playing with a doll and trying to figure out how it articulated. I knew that they were communicating, but I couldn't quite make out what they were saying. It was, for lack of a better term here, alien to me. This went on for about four hours, though in the dream it lasted a few minutes. But in that time, they'd moved every part of my body, opened my mouth to look inside, lifted my eyelids, and worst of all, sucked something long and metallic up my nose and up through my sinuses. All the tools they used just seemed to appear when they needed them and vanished when they didn't. It was such a surreal experience to witness it like I was a third party when in reality, I was looking at myself. Once they were done with whatever they were doing, the two simply stood still and slowly dematerialized. My body returned to its original falling state, and I watched myself faceplant on the steps of my truck. It was when I made contact that I woke up, breathing heavily and sweating. I've heard a lot of stories of abduction in the past, where people only remember what happened a while later and often in a dream, but I don't know what to believe, even after all this time. I can say with confidence that I'd never had another instance of vertigo since that day, and I've been pretty lax on taking my prescription. I was able to start taking jobs again not long after my two-week sick leave was up, though they were much shorter drives. Nowadays, I take shorter drives by choice. In the years that passed, I never saw or heard any stories of drivers seeing the things that I did in that dream or experiencing random blackouts after a loud mechanical whirring, but I've also never brought it up. We're not a skeptical bunch, at least the ones I know. They're all pretty down to earth. As for me, I'm not sure what to believe. I've always thought we weren't alone and gave every abduction story the benefit of the doubt, but... I also never thought it would happen to me. Of course, maybe it didn't. I did knock my noggin pretty hard that night, and dreams have always been pretty damn weird, I suppose. I think for the sake of my sanity, I'll blame it on the knock I took on the head, but I'm sure there's someone out there with a much more convincing story than mine. I finally have something to contribute. (laughs) This happened to me just five years ago, right after my 25th birthday. I was staying in Fresno in a small one-bedroom house, but wanted some friends over to hang out with on my birthday. I'd love to tell you that the night was filled with debauchery, strippers, and karaoke, but in reality, it was a bunch of D&D and some light drinking. I was never really the drinking type either, so I don't even remember being drunk, which makes what happened that night even stranger. Everyone showed up around six. Steven even brought takeout, and for the next five hours, we let ourselves get engulfed in the world of D&D. The game only came to an end because Eric, one of the other friends there, got a call that his wife had fallen down the stairs while trying to get some water before bed. She broke her ankle and was waiting for him in the ER. Of course, he left, and without our dungeon master, we had to put the game on pause. Steven and Marcus left a few minutes after that, giving some reason or another why they needed to go home too. 
I wasn't going to try and keep them there, but I did convince them to at least sober up a little before going. Even Eric had called an Uber. They agreed, and we watched Evil Dead in the living room. Once the film was over and we were all feeling better, if not just tired, it was nearly three in the morning. Stephen and Marcus called it a night, and once they were done, I decided I needed to as well. I took a quick shower, then went to the kitchen to grab a little snack before bed. Now, my kitchen has large French doors that lead out to the backyard. The blinds that hang over them are normally closed, but I'd kept them open all day to let some sunlight in. Now that I was about to go to bed, I wanted them closed again. As I was going to close them, though, I noticed something really strange. There was a street light right outside the property that shined into my yard at night, illuminating the whole thing. Among the normal things I'd see when I looked out, like the bird bath and my shed, was something I'd never before and hope I never do see again. It was tall, maybe six feet. It walked on two legs, but they acted almost like stilts. I couldn't see any bending like you would with a human. Even stranger was the fact that the legs were all it was. It was like I was looking at a triangle with no bottom, just walking. The legs glowed a bright white, and it seemed like they were covered in some kind of cloth. The best way I can explain it would be as if you threw a white sheet over a broomstick. I found myself hiding behind the doorframe, peeking around the corner, afraid that it would see me. It seems so ridiculous now, but I'd never seen something like this. I had no idea if this was some kind of fucked up animal that had made its way into my backyard somehow. Eventually, it made it to the other side, stepped out onto the streets, and just vanished. I know it's not very climactic, but that's what happened. It was just gone. I closed my blinds and curtains, then ran to grab my phone to call Eric. It was for two reasons. I wanted to see how his wife was, and I wanted his take on what I'd seen. He was really into the paranormal, and aliens and all that shit, so if anyone knew, he would have been the one to. He picked up on the third ring, and I asked him first how Holly was doing. Eric said she was in bed. They'd sent her home with crutches and a cast, but she'd make it. Then I went on to explain everything I've typed out here. I'm not sure if I was happy or afraid that he knew exactly what I was talking about. That's a Fresno Nightcrawler. He was way too excited about this. A what? I said. A Fresno Nightcrawler. There have been a few sightings of them all over the county, but the biggest one was in 2014. The guy caught it on security camera. I need you all to keep in mind that I'd only moved to California a year before my 24th. I had no idea this thing existed, and if I had, I wouldn't have gotten a house in Fresno. Nevertheless, I looked up what he told me, and sure enough, I saw something that looked exactly like what I'd seen. The one I'd spotted was apparently shorter. The one in 2014 was estimated to be 7 feet tall, and it moved a bit faster than the one in the video. I bought some cameras on my own, but it's been nearly 10 years since I saw that thing, and I haven't caught a glimpse of it again. 
I'm still staying in the same house, and me and the boys still get together here and there, but they've never seen anything strange in my yard, or theirs for that matter. I just hope it stays that way. Edit. I'm coming back to this comment because it got a lot more attention than I'd ever planned it to, and I need to clear some stuff up. The chances of it being one of my friends from that night are zip. Eric was home with his wife, and I watched the other two leave myself. Secondly, unless one of them turned back around, came to my house, and parked where I couldn't see them, dressed up with stilts, and waited for the chance that I'd go to my back door, it didn't happen. This also doesn't account for two things. It was only six feet at maximum, and I watched it disappear. Secondly, I wasn't drunk. At most, I was buzzing, but I've never heard of someone hallucinating after two hard seltzers, and if you do, maybe stop drinking. Believe me, I wish I knew what the hell that thing was, but I don't. Do I believe it was an alien or a cryptid or whatever? I don't know, but it definitely wasn't human. It sounds cheesy, but I've given it some thought, and my biggest mistake was not listening to my mom. She'd always been really supportive of all my creative endeavors. Cross-stitching, writing, singing, playing instruments, you name it, I probably tried it. Out of all of them, though, the only one I really stuck to was photography. I still take photos professionally to this day, and have done commissions for some big wigs now that I'm more well-versed, but... When I was younger, I couldn't grasp the idea of portrait photography. The lighting and the angles made no sense to me, and I wasn't great at telling people what to do for the best possible shot. It was around this time I found landscape photography. This held my interest for a few years, but what really pulled me in was urbex photography. I'm sure many of you already know, but... Urbex is just a fancy way of saying urban exploration. Basically, I would go to places that were long forgotten and photograph them in such a way that framed their lost beauty. I even juxtaposed some shots to old photos of what the places looked like before they were left. People paid good money for those. Of course, going into buildings that were 50, sometimes even 100 or more years old, was dangerous. Floors were following in. The stairs were a bad idea 99% of the time, and with dealing with the really old ones, you had to worry about asbestos and even lead paint. It was as fun and exciting as it was a surefire way to hurt myself. That's why my mom always warned me, be careful in those places. You could get hurt, or worse. I knew what she'd meant, and assured her I was being safe, but she never let up. Even when I left for college and sent her photos I'd done for class that included the Urbex ones, she'd sign off her email with the same thing. Please be safe. I always assured her I would, and I was... until July of 2015. This was... gosh, nearly ten years ago now, but I remember it like it was yesterday. I'd been given a tip from a few online friends who also did urbex photography about a place not far from my campus. 
It was an old theater from the 40s, and as far as they knew, only a handful of people had ever been there after it was shut down. Apparently there was some freak accident involving faulty wiring and a fire broke out in the front lobby. A few people died in the fire. Dozens were injured. It was a mess. The damage was never dealt with, and so people never went back for fear of falling through a floor or having an old rafter give way over top of them. But I didn't care. Theaters made for some of the most beautiful shots, and my bank account was deep in the red. The plan was to get a few really nice shots and hopefully sell prints online or to a gallery. That never ended up happening because my visit was cut short. I pulled up to the theater around midnight. I was armed with a headlamp, a flashlight, and mace. You have to be prepared for anything, after all. I'd also taken the advice of my friend to wear a face mask. The chances of ashes being stirred up by me walking around were low, but not impossible. I think I'd been in there for about an hour before I started to get the feeling that I wasn't alone. It wouldn't have been the first time. I'd been sniffed out by police more than once, and ran from animals on a few occasions, but this feeling was different than all those times. This one felt like much more of a threat. I was in the projection booth, trying to get a shot of the whole theater when that feeling peaked. And it peaked because I heard something move behind me. If you did this long enough, you learn how to differentiate between certain sounds given your surroundings. I was on a carpeted floor, so when I heard thumps instead of scratching, I knew I was dealing with a person and not an animal. I knew from past run-ins with people that it was best to just let them know you were there. That way they wouldn't freak out too much when they came across you. So I called out, I'm not a police officer, I'm just here to look around. I do have mace, but other than that, I'm not armed. I could feel the footsteps approaching. They were heavy, most likely boots of some kind. My hands are already behind my head. I was assuming I was dealing with the police, again, but the man who stepped out from the shadow and into the glow of my headlamp wasn't a cop wasn't even human. He was a heavyset guy and dressed to the nines. Brown loafers, pleated brown and black plaid pants that were pulled well over his belly, secured by a black belt with a gold buckle. I remember seeing a white button-down shirt with a green tie and a cream-colored vest over top of it. It was topped off with a slightly darker wool jacket. It wasn't lost on me that this man was incredibly out of place here, and as I was trying to determine the best course of action, the man tried to speak, but when his mouth opened, the only thing that came out was a foul-smelling black liquid, thicker than molasses. The man gargled and coughed before he took a few steps to me, reached out, but ultimately fell to the floor just a few inches from my boots. Shaken, but also frozen in fear, I made the mistake of looking down. The man was now nearly completely decayed. The black goo that had oozed from his mouth was now covering the floor, and the smell caused me to vomit next to him. Getting out of there and driving back home were 
mostly a blur. I showered once I was back at my off-campus apartment and lied down, hoping that if I fell asleep, I'd wake up and realize it was all a horrible nightmare. When I woke up the following day, though, I had a dark black stain on my boots. It hadn't been there before, and no matter what I'd tried, it never came out. I knew what it was. I just didn't want to believe it. I never told my friend, the one who told me to visit the place, what I saw that night. I just told him I managed to get some decent shots, and that was the truth. I got out of the negative, but nearly had a heart attack trying to do it. I quit doing urbex photography soon after that and buckled down on learning portrait photography. Now it's most of what I do. I've always thought about going back to urbex just for the fun of it, but then I think about what happened and I hear my mom's voice in my head. You could get hurt, or worse. I always thought she meant you could die, but now I think she meant something else entirely. I'd always been on the fence since I was old enough to understand what ghosts were. I loved shows like Ghost Hunters, though it wasn't because I wanted to be proven wrong. I wanted to prove them wrong. Now, <laughs> say what you will about the TAPS team now, but back then they weren't that convincing. Even when I was 15. I say 15 specifically because that was the year my perspective on everything shifted. And quickly. I was staying with my grandmother at the time. My parents were away on an anniversary trip, so of course I wasn't invited. I didn't mind as much as some kids my age would have. I loved my grandmother, even though her house was stuck in the early 1900s. No internets, no heat, only a few fireplaces, and for AC we had open windows. The most modern thing about her home was the television in the living room. This all happened in the early 2000s, so those huge bubble TVs were all over the place. The picture quality was decent at best, and sometimes parts of the screen would fade into blobs of black, ruining whatever show you were watching. Grandma didn't mind, and she hardly watched it anyway. My belief in ghosts, and in turn a lot more, started one night while I was watching that old TV. My grandma had gone to bed around 8pm, which was actually late for her, but I was wide awake. Flipping through the same 15 channels for an hour, I finally decided on an infomercial about dump cakes. I thought the name was funny, so I spent a majority of the time giggling softly to myself. Eventually, though, I was tired enough to call the night. I got up to turn off the TV, since there was no remote. But before I could, I noticed a blob forming on the screen again. I had initially started to brush it off as nothing, but it looked different than any of the other times I'd seen it. Now, to be clear, the blob didn't give me pause because I thought it was something scary or paranormal. It gave me pause because I was wondering if it was time to finally retire this old TV. It's going to be hard to convince her, I thought. I told myself that I'd let her know tomorrow and work it out with my parents at some point, then shut off the TV. But the blob still remained there. It was tall, stretching from the bottom of the screen to the top. From the bottom to the top, it was like 
an upside-down triangle, but really thin. There was a small sliver of black connecting this triangle shape to the small rounded shape on top. It kind of looks like a person, I said to myself. It was then that thought made me realize something. I wasn't looking at a blob on the television. I was looking at a reflection on the actual glass of the television. Let me explain how this part of the house was laid out real quick. To the right of the living room was a hallway that led to a bathroom and three bedrooms. The light in that hall was almost always on, since Grandma was pretty forgetful, but she slept with an eye mask on so it never bothered her. When you're sitting on the couch, the glare doesn't show up on the TV. It only shows when you're as close as I was now. I wasn't seeing a blob from bad TV. I saw someone standing in the hallway. I froze and ran through every possibility in my head. Had someone broken in? No. The front door was incredibly loud. I would have heard them. Was my grandmother standing in the hallway to ask me a question? I strained my ears to listen. Wasn't her either. She was snoring loudly in her bed down the hall. Someone else wasn't in the house. Something else was. I worked up the courage to turn around, and though I should have been expecting it, seeing that figure standing in the hallway, backlit by the ceiling light, was absolutely terrified. It never moved closer, only swayed back and forth, and there was some kind of guttural noise coming from it. Really, I can only describe it as a growl. Once my body finally gained the ability to move again, I did the only thing a 15-year-old who just saw a ghost would do. I ran back to the couch and hid under the small knitted blanket that had been thrown over the back of it. I couldn't bring myself to turn my back to the figure, so I was stuck there, staring at it until I finally fell asleep. That morning, I was woken up by Grandma cooking breakfast for us. When I sat down at the table, Grandma sat next to me and took my hand and said, You saw him, didn't you? She was old, but sharp as a tack, and could tell when someone was trying to hide something or had something on their mind. Thought about trying to brush it off and said, I just couldn't sleep. But instead, I said, Who is he? She went on to explain that the man who built this house, and the man she eventually bought it from when she was younger, had passed away inside about a week before signing it off to her. His name was Frank. He was known around town for being two things, incredibly handy and incredibly tall. Grandma told me he stood around six foot nine when he passed away. Apparently his death took a toll on a lot of people in the town and they all came together at his house, now my grandmother's, for a celebration of life. They drank his favorite beer, played his favorite music, and shared stories about him. Grandma claims all the energy made his soul return here and he hasn't left yet. He wasn't trying to scare you, she said. He's just real shy. I only saw Frank a handful of times after that day, as Grandma passed away a few years later, leaving the house to my dad. He played with the idea of moving in there after he and my mom retired, but it'll be a few more years from now. The house isn't being rented or listed for sale as of now, but I do find myself visiting it every once in a while. 
Frank does show up sometimes, but most of the time it's a nice, quiet, nostalgic experience. I suppose this would be a secret considering me and my grandfather, I'll call him Andy, are the only two who know how he got the scar of his right eyebrow. Since he passed away about three years ago, I'm now the only one that knows. Growing up, everyone, even Grandma, told me that he'd gotten it as a kid riding a bike. Him and a friend were bombing a hill, and Andy hit a pothole and was launched from it. He hit the ground hard, and he had to get 12 stitches, if memory serves me right. I didn't think much of it at the time, as my parents and all the adults around me had no reason to lie, and to them, they weren't lying. Andy was the one lying the whole time. Before I get into the real reason for Andy's scar, I need to explain a little bit about him. He was a really superstitious person. He believed in bad luck, good luck, karma, the whole nine. He was also a really big believer in the afterlife, and more importantly, ghosts. He refused to go into any place that he believed had a bad energy and would constantly be cleansing his own home. Hell, one weekend while my parents were away, they got a notification from the doorbell camera that we had a visitor. Sure enough, there was Andy waiting to be let in so he could do the monthly cleaning of our home. He was eccentric, but we loved him to pieces and he loved us the same. When it was clear that the stroke had taken a much larger toll than we'd initially believed, we all started preparing for the worst. All that leads me to the time I last spoke to Andy. He'd been in hospice for around three months, and it seemed it would be coming to an end soon. About a week before he passed away, my turn to have my final moments with him came. I know some kids weren't or aren't close with their grandparents, but Andy was like a second dad to me. And just like Dad, he loved telling stories. I didn't talk much, only listened, when he said he wanted to tell me how he really got the scar over his eye. For clarity's sake, I'll write the rest from his perspective, exactly how I remember it. It was 1940. I'd just turned five and my daddy decided he didn't want to be around anymore. That was fine with Mama and me. Barely spent time with us anyway. Spent more time sleeping around than he did pushing me on the swing or taking Mama out to eat. He was a real mean son of a bitch, too. And a mean right hook. Funny enough, that's not where the scar came from. Of course, it didn't come from a bike, either. With Daddy out of the picture, I was spending a lot more time alone at home, given Mama had to work a lot more to make up for what Daddy was covering. I know you're looking at me crazy, but this was over 70 years ago. Leaving a five-year-old at home didn't seem like too bad of an idea. As long as there was food and something to drink in the house, they supposed you'd be alright. Of course, I knew the house like the back of my hand, but when you're alone, you start noticing things you hadn't before. Houses make a lot of noises when there's nothing there to drown them out. I suppose it was about midnight or so. I'd been on the couch watching the Three Stooges when I heard someone pull a chair out from the kitchen table. I knew what it was immediately, because it was a distinct squeal when it went across the tile. I got up real slow-like, thinking one of Mama's friends had come by to have a beer or something. 
Still can't believe she touched the stuff after what happened when Daddy did it, but to each their own, I suppose. I walked over to the TV and turned it down so I could just barely hear it. I was standing there in the living room in my underwear, and I just knew that someone had to be in the kitchen. I was a scrawny little kid, too, so I knew if they'd broken in, there was no way I'd be making it out alive. But something lit a fire under my ass that night. Thinking about how my mama told me, you're the man of the house now, Andy. You gotta make sure you take up some responsibility. I yelled out, Who's in there? No one responded, verbally, but physically. Something made sure I knew it was there. The sound of the chair being pushed out came from the kitchen again, so I thought that whoever this was really had known I was there and was planning to come say hello and explain why they were in Mama's house alone. Heard some heavy footsteps move from the kitchen floor, loud like work boots, until they were eventually on the carpet with me. They were softer now, but my hearing was sharp back then. They made their way around the couch and stopped just a hair in front of me. If I hadn't taken a piss before starting my show, I would have done it right then, right on the carpet. Because there was nobody there. But I could feel someone. Someone big, squatting down to my level and staring at me. I could feel their breath brush across my face. When a hand brushed over my shoulder, that was my cue to get the hell out of there. I hauled ass to my bedroom and hid under the covers till Mama got home. When she did, I told her about what happened, but she told me I was just tired and probably had a nightmare. As a youngin', I was mad that Mama didn't believe me, but now I get it. If one of you little rugrats told me you heard or something or felt something you couldn't see back then, I would have told you the same thing. It wasn't until two weeks later that I found out what it was. And Mama did too. Two weeks leading up to this scar, which I guess is now about faded, I kept getting taunted by my invisible visitor. He'd come into my room, move stuff around like toys and my blankets sometimes. Mom even got on about me staying up too late and playing with things when I was supposed to be sleeping. Didn't have the heart to tell her it wasn't me. She'd gone through enough. I didn't want to bother her with whatever the hell this was. Of course, the idea of me being crazier than hell came to mind. We didn't know too much about the brain and how it can work back then, so even if I was, I would have never known it. But with that said, I suppose Mama and I would have been seen as crazy if we told the truth. It happened on a Thursday morning. Mama had a day off, and I hadn't been sleeping too well, so she told me I could stay home and get some rest that day. She was sitting on my bed holding a cold rag to my head as it was hotter than Satan's taint in my room. I was just about to fall asleep when my bedroom door squeaked open. Damn thing was always loud, but at that moment, it was like a gunshot from five feet away. Mama turned around quickly, and I sat up too. I knew what it was, but I couldn't find it in me to say anything. I think I was just scared. Nervous about what was going to happen. Footsteps came into the room. Those same heavy, boot-like steps. And made their way over to the pile of toys I'd forgotten to put away the day before. It must have been just seconds later that a replica box car came off the floor and flew straight at me. You gotta remember, 
just about every toy a kid had back then was made of metal, and this one was no different. Cracked me right over the eye. Last thing I remember was Mama grabbing me up, wrapping my head in a towel, and put me in a car and rushed me to the hospital. I blacked out somewhere along the trip. I thought I died when I saw the bright lights at the hospital room, but of course I didn't. Me and Mama never went back to that house. We went to live with Mama's sister, your great aunt Deborah, and told everybody I fell from my bike. Mama took that secret to the grave with her, and I'd planned to, but I've known you've always been a bit more open-minded about these things. It's also been meeting me up inside. I hate lying to people. I don't care if you tell other people or not. Be my guest. It just feels real good to get it off my chest. I never did end up telling anyone Granddad's secret. I didn't want anyone to think he'd become senile in his old age and was making things up. Everyone was hurting enough already. For me, I believe him. Reading my retelling of it on a forum won't do it justice, but seeing the real fear in his eyes when he recounted that first encounter was terrifying. The man could tell a great story off the top of his head, but this one... This one was real. Rest easy, Andy. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed tonight's video. I know it's very different than what we've been doing a lot here lately, but I wanted to switch it up a little bit and kind of play around with some true stories. Things that have actually happened to people and are pretty terrifying, to be honest. Um, I really enjoyed all of these. It was a nice change of pace for me as far as uh, narrating and reading and things go. Um, so let me know if you all enjoyed it as well. If you did, I can look for some more. Um, I can reach out to some friends of mine and see if they have any that they want to share. You can share some in the comments below as well. And uh, maybe we can do this again soon. It was a lot of fun reading all these crazy, terrifying, strange, weird, whatever you want to call them, stories. And um, I'm pretty excited to see if I can find some other good ones. But in the meantime, I want to give a quick thank you to all of the $5 patrons and members. Those are people who are pledging over on Patreon or here on YouTube for 5 bucks a month. And just want to give you guys a quick shout out. Absinthe Alice, Alice E, Amethyst, Amet. Caroline, Christina Smith, CT, Deborah Tychus, Elizabeth Watkins, LSG, Furious Weasel, If in Doubt, Flat Out, Jennifer Dameron, Jesse Jess Jess, Justinia Zaromsky, Karen Parrott, Kat, Kathy Fanning, Lee Riggs, Laura, Lindsay Pruitt, Melody Evans, Melissa Berwick, Mindy Bannon, Moon Potato, Nicholas Moore, Nora, Nova Nocturne, Patricia Rodea, PJ Mask, Ray Clegg, Sentinel, New on Gong 24, Tiger Princess, Triumph, and Victoria Step. I swear that list is getting longer every day. I really, really appreciate it, but it's going to take me 20 minutes to read off these names next time, I swear. Anyway, thank you all for the incredible support, and thank you to everyone who shows up and watches these videos. I appreciate you all just the same. And as always, take care of yourselves and those around you, and stay safe out there. <laughs>